Hey! What? Good morning, good morning, and more good morning, and thank you for joining us. Uh, look, we're just rocking and rolling on this show. It is going to go uh, to Fridays starting after Labor Day. Well, because frankly, you all have made this show absolutely wonderful. Hope everybody had a great weekend. I certainly did. And we got lots to get to. You know, I say it all the time. The media, complete morons. Like, they can't get things right. They won't get things right. They don't get things right. They say things just because. And we're going to expose the media today at 10 o'clock. A man named Guy Relford. Guy Relford is a Second Amendment attorney in Indianapolis. And I don't know how much you paid attention to this, but... A little bit south of Indy, Greenwood Park Mall had a shooting. And a hero emerged, a man named Elijah Dickin. And Elijah killed the gunman. Kid, 22 years old, I think he was, walked out of a bathroom with a shotgun and started shooting, killing three people. And Elijah Dickin, boom, 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 had a gun of his own and killed the gunman. Eight shots hit out of ten. The gunman was killed, lives were saved, and guess what? The idiots and our friends, the Indy Star and others, some clown on CBS4's traffic and others, calling this kid, well, a criminal and worse. It's unbelievable how we go about the business and the media in our fair city, as I said, between the Star and, of course, CBS4's traffic team, need to be talked about, and we're going to talk about it with Guy Relliford, who is defending Eli- Elijah Dickin, the hero. And make no mistake, you are in a mall, somebody opens fire, killing three people right there in front of you, and you have the wherewithal and the training to get your gun, see, get rid of the killer, and while he's doing it, going at the killer, moving people away. Go, go, go. The training is what's important here. And that's exactly what Elijah Dickin did. And we're going to talk to Guy Relifer. And I hope you'll join us and I hope you'll tell your friends because these are important conversations. I mean, if all day we had 400, what, police standing outside doing nothing while kids were manslaughtered, kids were killed, massacred, not manslaughtered, kids were massacred. Well, one guy stopped the same thing and he's a hero and I don't give a damn what the little wokies and I don't give a damn what the little Libby media says. I don't care. The debate, the quibble in our city is whether he's a good Samaritan or not. Now he's a freaking hero that had these nuts and the wherewithal and the training to save lives. That's what Elijah Dickin did. Stay with us at 10 o'clock for our interview with Guy Relford. Guy's tremendous on the radio, tremendous explaining things, and you're really going to enjoy the interview. All right, speaking of media, we talk about in the world of Draymond freaking Green, the new media where players bark back. Well, it turns out the new media is as dumb as the old media. Can we put Draymond's tweet up? I'm a big Draymond Green fan. Everybody knows. I am. I'm a big Draymond Green fan. I'm watching the 98 Bulls versus Utah in the finals. Can't help but notice our 2017 team would have beaten those Bulls by a dub and these Jazz by 40 if they're going to play these brands of basketball, and that's why it's dumb to compare eras. 
Well, that's why it's dumb to be Draymond Green. So not only does Draymond Green compare the era, can you keep just keep that up, okay? I'd rather people see that than my face. Not only is it dumb to compare eras, it's dumb to say it's dumb to compare eras when you're comparing eras. First and foremost, there isn't a chance in holy hell that the 2017 Warriors could have even been on the same court with the Chicago Bulls. And I will tell you one simple thing. You know how Steph Curry waltzes down the lane and lays it in and every little wannabe slap tough guy in the NBA gets out of the way? They didn't do that in 97. Bulls didn't do that. What the Bulls did was knock you on your ass. What the Bulls did was make you make a business decision. What the Bulls did was throw three long defenders at you. It is not even close. I've said this forever. I love watching Steph Curry, Draymond Green play basketball. But the idea that that group could play in a previous era, maybe they could, but they'd have to make some business decisions. Kevin Durant frittering around shooting jump shots. Draymond Green trying to be a badass against, well, a real badass. Dennis Rodman would have been funny. Draymond Green would have crapped his pants. Draymond Green right now can talk and do stuff because he knows in the current NBA nobody fights. Back in those days, guys fought. Draymond Green can be the tough guy because he knows that people are going to get between him and all he's got to do is yell. Well, in those days, guys knocked you on your ass and then they fought sometimes. This is really funny. This is the new media. When I see Kevin Durant of the new media go, well, you know, man, that's the new media. This is the new media. Yeah, give me more stupid. That's why it's dumb to compare eras after I just compared eras. Hey, Draymond Green would have tried that stuff with Thurl Bailey. I'm not even getting into Carl Malone, who's crazy, by the way. At least that's what NBA players tell me. Like, you want to mess with the mailman. Mailman will hurt you. But Thurl Bailey hurts you, too. Hell, he's not even the toughest guy out there. Hell, John Stockton will hurt you. It's so funny listening to these modern guys. These modern guys must be so insecure about who they are and what their era is that it's driving them nuts. But the new era of media is dumber than the old era. It's impossible to be. It's legitimately impossible to be dumber than the current era of media that we're in. It's impossible. But you can't try to not be so stupid. You can't try not to fall down to their level, Draymond and others. I mean, I'm sitting there watching C.J. McCollum act half asleep on the set of SportsCenter all the time. And this is the new media? You can have it. Give me the old dumbasses that just write nonsense, write whatever they want and lie. Give me those guys. At least they're not, they don't contradict themselves in the same tweet. Now, they write crap, but Draymond, baby, you got beat by 60, gotten hurt, and cried all the way home. Fact, wouldn't have even made it to the finals. Child, please, stay in your lane. Not your lane of basketball. I'll talk about whatever you want. But when comparing errors, the only thing I will tell you is every time somebody touches Draymond Green, he cries. <laughs> every time, every time freaking, uh, what's his face, Steph Curry goes to the lane, down the lane, nobody touches him. They touched you back in 97. They hit you hard. You guys would have had no shot. But keep being stupid. It gives me about, oh, I don't know, eight minutes of content on my show. Uh, I hate this story. 
I hate this story. John Mechie has leukemia. He has, and I'm going to say it wrong, acute prodecal leukemia. It's the same leukemia years back that Chuck Pagano had here in Indianapolis. It is the most curable form of leukemia. You know, by percentage, John Mechie's going to be okay. But those of you that listen to this show know that I absolutely hate when kids get hurt. I do. I hate it. I hate when people, particularly uh, really seemingly really good people, have these type obstacles at a young age. You know, my fat, ridiculous self, I'm going to have health obstacles because I'm fat and ridiculous. John Mechie, man, that dude's in his prime. He's getting ready to go. I pray for guys like John Mechie. I do. And I hope he makes a full recovery. I remember going to watch John Mechie last year, Tennessee at Alabama, going, man, look at that little guy go. Now, I'm sure if I stood next to him, he's not a little guy. I'm sure he's ripped. But on a football field with Alabama players and Tennessee players, he was little. And I wanted the Colts to draft him desperately because I just thought that kid has heart, that kid has toughness, that kid has want to, that kid has a great spirit about him, and he'll whip cancer's ass, I can guarantee you, because of all those things. But I was thinking about John Mechie. I saw that. I don't know John Mechie. John Mechie wouldn't know me. I don't care. There are certain people you watch and you immediately like, like all you folks watching this show. You watch me, and you immediately like me. I understand that. I get that. Some of you watch me, you see this, and you immediately hate me. I get that. I support that. But the truth of the matter is, I like that kid. I like that kid a lot, and I hate like hell. I mean, I hate like hell to see anybody go through what John Mechie is going through. Because, look, here's what we do. I've always said this. We see and hear somebody going through something. And we forget about it and we go through our lives while that person continues to go through it. And then they get good. And we don't know the struggle. And that's one of the things I like about what Dick Vitale is doing. Dick Vitale is showing you his struggle as he goes through cancer. I have a friend, Freddie Viana the best defense attorney in the city of Indianapolis. Childhood friend, K through 12, man. Freddie Vianna is the toughest dude I know. Freddie Vianna got in a horrific car wreck. Has MS. It's getting worse. He's in a wheelchair. Badass football player, now in a wheelchair. All right. Went to see Freddie. Only went to see him once. Stupid of me. Should have gone there every day. Saw what he was going through. I couldn't believe it. Talk to Freddie about once or twice a week now as he's convalescing. Not convalescing, he's getting better at home. And what he's going through is unbelievable. You know, we know he's getting better. People ask me, hey, how's Freddie doing? Oh, he's getting better. But when you talk to him, you know the struggle. Struggle for John Mechie is going to be serious. And I'm, I'm thinking about that kid, and I am hoping and praying for that kid. Period. I can do a whole show, by the way on those two topics. I could do a whole show on who would beat who in the NBA. Maybe I should. And then I could do a whole show thinking about and praying for people that need our prayers. And John Mechie uh, is one of them. You know, look, I don't know. When the presidential debates were on and Al Gore was running for president of the United States, 
the first debate happened. It was George W. Bush against Al Gore. I noticed this immediately. Now, look, I've always been a, what's the right way to put this? Um, Political kind of junkie slash follower. So I'm watching the debate, first one, and it is arguably the worst performance by a candidate in the history of debates not named Dan Quayle or Richard Nixon. Dan Quayle, obviously, you, sir, are no John Kennedy. Crushing line. All right, I'm getting away from myself. Al Gore is a really smart man. If you listen to Al Gore, he invented the internet, he invented the climate, he invented your password, he invented your wife, he invented robots, whatever. But let me go back to the election. I always knew Al Gore was a buffoon because during that election, in the first debate, he wore rouge. And he wore, what was this called, blush? And guys wear makeup on screen, and that's not a problem. Not a problem at all. But he made it so red that I immediately said, he's trying to be Ronald Reagan. And he spoke like Ronald Reagan, which is fine, except people like me, people that have half a brain, people that actually pay attention to candidates, can smell a fraud a mile away. And it doesn't only have to be a fraud. It can be a coach. It can be a coworker, It can be a boss. So my man is up there trying to act like Ronald Reagan, and he's got this red. Now, if you go back and look at Ronald Reagan, he had really red cheeks. I think it was because Nancy was, you know, we all know. Check Google. Anyway, uh, Al Gore is the dumbest smart person alive going back to the election where he read rosy red cheeks, and he spoke like an idiot. I'm not going to lie. Uh... The worst public speaker is obviously this guy, Biden. Second worst was Obama, because he said nothing other than something that he wanted put on a wall. And tied for second worst was George W. Bush. But this guy right here, he's the worst public speaker, non-actual president division. So this clown yesterday decides that it's a good idea because this is what idiots do to invoke, invoke on Meet the Press that climate deniers are like the police in Uvalde, Texas. Now, hey, look, I think we all get what he was trying to say, but with 21 dead children right there in front of us, it's an idiotic, insensitive, moronic comparison to make. Now, I'm not surprised because this very smart man, public speaking-wise, is idiotic, moronic, and insensitive when he needs to be. It's the democratic way. But he said that climate change, climate changers, in his mind, those who doubt the severity of climate changing or mankind's role in it, are comparable to the Uvalde police officers who stood outside an unlocked door while children were being massacred. He referenced the children's screams when asked about the importance of reducing reliance on fossil fuels. It's totally idiotic, inappropriate, insensitive, and it shows what a jackass this guy is. Like, I got to believe these guys have speech writers. Al Gore makes, listen to this, $100,000 a speech. Somebody pays this idiot to come into their country or into their company and pay $100,000. I got paid last year by a group out of Alabama to go down for $10,000. And I got to tell you, I gave him an unbelievable speech to this company. 
I still get notes from some of the guys that were there. It was funny. It was smart. It was irreverent. And they loved it. El Gore gets up and talks, and you just go, this guy's an idiot. Dockage gets up and talks, and you go, this guy's a genius. Looks like an idiot, but he's a genius. El Gore's a damn fool. Al Gore uh, also referenced, uh, excuse me, climate deniers are really in some ways similar to all those almost 400 law enforcement officers in Uvalde, Texas, who were waiting outside an unlocked door while children were being massacred. They heard the screams. They heard the gunshots. No one stepped forward. How about you do something else? How about you use a different analogy? Look, look, I don't get bent out of shape about these things, but when I saw Al Gore and Al Gore doing this, I thought to myself, you know what? I remember this idiot. Really smart guy. Really smart guy. Smart man saying dumb things. I remember him. He's back and dumber than ever. All right. It's summertime, particularly here in Indiana. All right. And in summertime in Indiana, it used to be on talk radio, you talked about two things. One, should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? Two, should Bobby Knight and Indiana University reconnect? Well, Bob Knight and Indiana University reconnected. So we jumped out of the Bob Knight and brought in, should Andrew Luck be in the Colts Ring of Honor? So should Andrew Luck be in the Colts Ring of Honor? And should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? Those are the two things that we discuss when there's absolutely nothing else. Remember, in Indy, we don't have professional baseball, and nobody really cares about the Reds. And, of course, they do about the Cubs, but the Cubs stink. And let's be honest, in the city of Indianapolis, we've done studies on this, it goes Colts, IU basketball, and nothing else unless the Pacers are in the playoffs. I've tried to make Aiden O'Connor a thing, but let's get back to Pete Rose. First time in 30 years, Pete Rose is going to be on the field in Philadelphia, celebration 1980 World Series champions. Now look, Pete Rose was banned from baseball. Pete Rose supposedly was not allowed to be on the field, not allowed to be associated in any way with Major League Baseball. Okay, that's fine. So Pete Rose is not in any way allowed to be associated in any way, shape, or form with Major League Baseball. All right, well, guess what? Pete Rose has been on the field at Major League Baseball, game celebrating the top 50 players or whatever the hell the idiotic celebration was. Pete Rose is now going to be on the field for the first time in 30 years. First time in 30 years in Philadelphia, he's going to be on the field. All right, listen. If we're going to do the NCAA things and give a waiver for everything, how about we just put the man in the Hall of Fame? I don't care one way or the other. Like if Pete Rose went in the Hall of Fame tomorrow, I'd be like, hey, great, Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame. If Pete Rose doesn't get in the Hall of Fame tomorrow, I'll be all great. Pete Rose isn't in the Hall of Fame. But when you keep doing this stupid stuff, look, put the man in the Hall of Fame, tell the whole story of Pete Rose, and move on with it. And if you don't want him to get up and speak, then don't let him get up and speak. The bottom line is this. You let David Ortiz in, and I'll get to that in a minute. You let freaking David Ortiz in. David Ortiz went from being literally a nothing player to all of a sudden, oh, my God, in the steroid era, it just coincided with him becoming a home run hitting powerhouse. Oh, my God. And, of course, David Ortiz gave a speech yesterday, and the media, oh, he stole the show. Well, of course he did. You know why David Ortiz stole the show. He's on the right side of the media. You can't trick us, people. Look, do us all a favor. Just put the man in the Hall of Fame. I mean, if you're going to be so wishy well, or just do this. Say, look, we banned you. Get out. 
We put the ban on you. In every single locker room, in every single professional sport, it tells you don't bet, and if you do, you are banned from the sport. I've been in the Colts locker room, big old. <sighs> Just ban the dude or don't. Either way, I don't know what to tell you. But, oh, he's going to come on the field for this. He's going to put him in the Hall of Fame, make a plaque this big, tell the entire complicated story of Pete Rose. Or lock them out. world is nuts. We're so afraid to stick to our guns, and we're so afraid to admit that we made a mistake. We're so afraid to say, yeah, okay. A little empathy. Look, you can't bet on baseball when you're a baseball player manager. You can't bet on football, particularly your team. I don't care whether you bet them to win or lose. I don't believe any reports of any kind of those things. I don't believe any of them. None of it. None. Zero. Seriously, I don't, you could tell me you didn't do it. You can tell me what you did. But I walked up to a Hall of Fame baseball player with a coach, and he got out a betting slip that he had in his back pocket at the batting cages. True story. I got a lot of stories, people. Just put the man in the Hall of Fame or get his ass out. One of the two. Who cares? All right. I love this story. I can't, my brain is so frazzled, I can't even remember whether or not we talked about it. I know I talked about it on my Saturday Sirius XM show. But I got to tell you, there is nothing better than innovative ways to cheat in college sports. And Jeremy Pruitt and Tennessee just got whacked with 19 violations, major, uh, level one violations of cheating when he was the head coach at Tennessee. He actually did more cheating than winning. All right. We ain't mad about it. Jeremy, we know in the SEC, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. We know that you learned from the best. You worked for Saban and Jimbo Fisher. We know you met your wife as she was helping recruit at Florida State under Jimbo Fisher. We know all this stuff, and we ain't even mad about it. We know. We can connect the dots. See, that's the media in me. All right. But the beauty is when your wife gets involved. Now, let me say something about these allegations against uh, Jeremy Pruitt. First, good for uh, Tennessee for being, I guess now, the poster child of how to cooperate with the NCAA. Good for them, right? Yay, Rod, go fight, win. All right. But I've always felt in the back of my mind, there's two ways I live my life, the mirror and St. Peter. The mirror, if I've done something wrong, the mirror tells me this ugly face and this Catholic guilt kicks the living crap out of me every time I do something. My wife will tell you. The most innocuous thing wakes me up at night thinking, oh, man, did I hurt that person's feelings? Did I do that? Did I? All right. uh, I don't know, man. Did I? Oh, God dang it. I don't know. And then other things that I know that people think are mean, uh, I'm like, yeah, they're full of crap. They needed that. I'm trying to strengthen a nation here. So let's go to St. Peter. St. Peter is a deal where I'm like, all right, if I had to answer for this, because I believe in heaven, I believe in God, and I believe in heaven. If that makes me a bad guy, then I'm a bad guy. If that makes me different from you, then I'm different from you, whatever you want to do. But the truth of the matter is, um, I frankly don't give a rat's ass 
what people down here think of me as long as what I do, I can explain to St. Peter at the pearly gates to get in. And I've always had this battle in my mind about what's called cheating in college football or basketball. Casey Pruitt, the wife of Jeremy Pruitt, was involved in providing $500 cash payment on 25 different occasions to unknown family members for a car, gave two $1,600 cash payments for a security deposit and initial rental payments for another person on two occasions to relocate. These are people that they were trying to recruit to Knoxville. Now, I say to myself, and this has always been a battle on me, is giving money to people that need it indefensible? Like, obviously, you have an ulterior motive. You want that player to play for you. I get all that. But when I go in front of St. Peter and he's like, all right, Double D, why are you giving this money to this kid? And I would have to say to St. Peter, look, I was trying to get the kid to play football. And one of the ways that I could do it was to help his family out. Well, how'd you help their family out? Of course, St. Peter already knows. You're going to see if you're being honest. I paid for their first month's deposit and their rent. Did they have the money to pay the rent? Didn't think so. Did you do it specifically to get them to play football at Tennessee? I think I did. I've always thought to myself, I've got the money. I didn't. I was never one of these high-paid football coaches. But if I had the money, what's so wrong with helping a kid who's going to play his brains out for me? I'm going to yell, scream, cuss at. What's so bad about helping him make a rent payment? Now, I never cheated in my life. Not being a cheat cost me $3.5 million at West Virginia over some integrity issues that West Virginia had. You'll never read that in the Indy Star. But I've cost myself a lot of money not cheating. But I've always wondered. So God bless you, Casey Pruitt. God bless you for saying, you know what? It's a family business. Tennessee football, my husband, it's a family business. I'm going to be right there with you, honey, throwing the cash around. Don't worry about it, Jeremy, baby. I got this. I don't know, but I kind of like it. It's like when Will Wade decided he was going to pay out of his own pocket. How awesome is that? Will Wade was going to pay recruits. He's making zillions. His family's worth zillions. I was paying out of my own pocket to eliminate the middleman. <laughs> Will Wade got fired at LSU. All right, new media, baby. New media includes J.J. Riddick, who everybody tells me is the new greatest thing. J.J. Riddick, my ass. J.J. Riddick said one of the stupidest things you're ever going to see in besmirching guys like Jerry West, Will Chamberlain, Nate Thurman, Willis Reed, Bob Lanier, my personal hero, Bob Love, Chet Walker, Jerry Sloan, those kind of guys, when he called them like painters and plumbers. He was disparaging the great Bob Cousy. Jerry West wasn't having it. I like that Jerry West stepped up here. All right, let's hear from the logo on his thoughts about J.J. Reddick calling greats of the NBA plumbers. J.J. Reddick, current player who just recently retired, said that Bob Cousy played against 
uh, firemen and, and plumbers, and Bob came on and, and wasn't too pleased. And, you know, you, you played in that era, and those guys set the table for us uh, to be where we are today. And I was just interested in your thoughts on, on comments like that about your generation and the generations that, that paved the way. Well, um, obviously the game is completely different. The athletes are completely different. And I know J.J. Uh, just a little bit. He's a very smart kid and everything. But tell me what his career looked like. What did he do that was that determined games? He averaged, what, he averaged 12 points a game in the league? Um, somewhere along the way, numbers count. At that point in time, the players aren't what they used to be. Um, J.J. certainly wasn't going to guard the elite players. And so you can nitpick anyone. And I'm, I'm not, the only reason I'm talking about him is because he was not an elite player, but he was a very good player. But he had a place on the team because of the ability to shoot the ball. But uh, those players at that era, and, and again, that was when I started to see the, the difference in athleticism. Um, you know, my era, I was an athlete way before my time. I had a huge vertical. Um, probably no one in the league was, was much faster than me. And certainly the competitive part of it, I would put my, myself among any player that played the game. Today, also, winning is all that matter. That's what drove me. And I suddenly got better every year. We didn't have the facilities to get better. We had to work in the summers to support our family. But AJ should be very thankful that he's made as much money as he's made. And Bob Cousy, who I played against a couple of years, not very long, um, I just think it's very disrespectful myself. I love Jerry West. I love him. He's right. I mean, look, if LeBron wants to say it, all right. But J.J. Reddick, because he had a nice podcast, <laughs> so he got on ESPN. Okay. <laughs> I love Jerry West and Jeff Perlman and all the other idiots that are trying to make him look bad. Good for you, man. Good for you. But Jerry West is the man, and he did it in a great way. All right, we come back. I ain't mad about it. Now, there's a lot of things in sports I ain't mad about. Hey, you want to sit? Guy Relaford, this affects all of us. Coming up at 10 o'clock, we have a hero in Indianapolis. His name is Elijah Dickin. He literally put eight shots into a mass shooter, mass murder. The media was idiotic, continues to be idiotic, but we expect that in Indianapolis. Guy Relaford is the hero, Mr. Dickin's attorney. He's going to join us and talk about what happened, not necessarily the trial, because uh, not necessarily the case, but the media reaction to the case, the quibbling over Good Samaritan and other things. That's a 10. When we come back, I ain't mad about it. And you're going to like some of the stuff I ain't mad about. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, 
Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You know, um, <laughs> you know, I ain't mad about it. Started because I had a suspended kid named Jamarcus Ellis at Indiana when I was the interim coach, and he said, "Coach, I ain't mad about it." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm mad about it." Went to Penn State without our best all-around player and got beat. Cost me millions. I'm mad about it, but I ain't mad about certain things. And one of the things I ain't mad about, you know, here in Indianapolis. We get a kick out of Jimmy Ursay. There are some guys that you would say, hey, you spent $6 million buying Muhammad Ali's 1974 Rumble in the Jungle belt, championship, WIBC belt, or whatever the hell it's called. WIBC is a radio station, whatever it's called. There's 8 million organizations. It was the epic fight. It was uh, the Rumble in the Jungle. In Zaire, Ali, Foreman, Ali Ropadope, Foreman, the big puncher. Never forget, my dad came home. I heard him come home. He went to a pay-per-view event. Yes, they had him back then at the Sportsman's Club in Gary. I'm like, Dad, who won? Uh, Ali, no way. You know, I was 12. You know how you are as a 12-year-old. No way, man. But anyway, so Jimmy Irsay... For the, quote, Ursay collection, he has a monumental collection of stuff, spent $6 million on this belt. And I ain't mad about it. Now, I know what people say, well, that $6 million could have been better spent feeding the homeless. Maybe it could have. But I never, ever tell people what to do with their money. Their money. It ain't my money. It's their money. And if Jimmy Ursay wants to add to his collection with a $6 million purchase of a belt, God bless him. People that get mad about it, and there are a bunch that got mad about it, they don't understand. Look, Ursay may sell that for $10 million and do something with the $10 million. You don't know. And there's always a backstory, ladies and gentlemen. Jimmy Ursay is kind of like our quirky grandfather. Jimmy Ursay gets in trouble. Jimmy Ursay gets out of trouble. Jimmy Ursay is positive. Jimmy Ursay is enthusiastic. Jimmy Ursay says wacky things. But I like Jimmy Ursay. I like Jimmy Ursay a lot. Never met him, never come on my show. I think he's afraid I'll ask him questions he don't want to answer. But the truth of the matter is, anytime Jimmy Ursay does something like this, he gets carte blanche around here just because, eh, that's Jimmy Ursay. Eh. I ain't mad about it, Jimmy. You the man, Jimmy. Keep doing your thing. Man, but I got to tell you, I did read a couple things. Well, you know, he should be doing this with the money. And it's always by some slob in the media that can't tie his own shoes without sweating. Or it's always some slob in the media that can't and has no idea what the hell's going on in the real world other than they're trying to get clicks. Jimmy, you do you. And whatever you decide, man, you go ahead and you do you. I ain't mad at anybody, anybody that tells me David Ortiz should not be in the Hall of Fame. David Ortiz, there's always been rumors, whispers. I think ESPN had it one time about steroid use. Look, I, hey, look, I don't know. I just know this. In 2002, David Ortiz 
hit 20 home runs, 70 RBIs. That's it. Uh, and he did it in 125 games, 466 at bats. All of a sudden, when steroids were rolling, oh, how did this happen? I don't know. I'm being the indie star here. I'm making a connection without any proof. Oh, my God, the next year after being released, 31 home runs, 41 home runs, 47 home runs, 54 home runs, 35 home runs. Oh, my God, how did this happen? How did this happen? It's a miracle. I mean, let's be honest. There's always been the rumors. Now, the dude was clutch as clutch as clutch, right? I mean, and the dude continued it to 2016. But how does a guy, and maybe he does, go from hitting 38 home runs, 48 home runs over a three-year period, to in the next two years hitting 72? How does a guy go from never getting more than 75 home, uh, RBIs to going to 101 and capping out at 148? I was on a better team. Okay. Okay. I'm not saying David Ortiz did steroids. I'm saying that I ain't mad at anybody that thinks he did. Simple. If you think he did steroids, I ain't mad at you. If you think he should not be in the Hall of Fame, I ain't mad at you. I am. I'm not mad at you even a little bit. And the reason I'm not mad at you is because when David Ortiz made this huge jump from basically released player to superstar, uh, he did it in the middle of the steroid era. You know, Brady Anderson, look him up. 52 home runs one year. I don't know. Maybe he just got on Nautilus. Remember Nautilus? But I'll say this about David Ortiz. I will. I'll say this. In 20 years in the big leagues, David Ortiz never slowed down. I mean, at least according to this, 2016, his last year, the dude had a career high in doubles. 38 home runs, 127 RBIs his last year. Clutch is clutch. I ain't mad at you if you think David Ortiz should be in the Hall of Fame. I ain't mad at you either way. But also understand this. Big poppy, big personality, big time with the media, big time friend of all the media. That's what gets you in the Hall of Fame. Don't tell me. Don't at me any other crap. Oh, I'm big poppy. I can barely speak English and everybody loves me. Oh, okay. Let's put you in the Hall of Fame. Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame? See, the thing about cheating is you never admit it. Don't ever admit it. Don't ever try to talk about the cream and the clear and whatever other crap. You know, we knew you did it. Should you be in the Hall of Fame? I really don't know. My thing about the Hall of Fame has always been this. My thing has always been, what about the guy in double A that decided not to do steroids? He's at home working as a state farm agent. Not that there's anything wrong with a state farm agent or teaching school or being a radio host. While somebody else who made the wrong decision, the illegal, not illegal, but against the rules decision, decided, well, you know what? He goes on to be a multimillionaire. See, it's not legal in Puerto Rico, or excuse me, the Dominican Republic. That's why Sammy Sosa always said, hey, I did nothing illegal, because, well, the assumption is you did it in the Dominican Republic. But there's Big Poppy, right? Big Poppy stole the show. Of course he did. You knew coming out of this Hall of Fame weekend, and there's a lot of things I'm watching, and that ain't one. Tim Kirchin, because he's on ESPN, ESPN's going to pump, and everybody likes him. And And David Ortiz gave the great speeches in the history of the world. You know that going in. 
But I ain't mad at you. I ain't mad at you even a little bit if you call Big Poppy a fraud. Uh, I ain't mad at this. We're going to talk to his attorney coming up here at 10 o'clock, Guy Relford. Uh, but Elijah Dickens, see this kid right here, 22 years old? Elijah Dickens, uh, a week ago, Sunday, he's in a food court. He brings a gun. You can carry in Indiana. Now, it's a gun-free zone at this mall, but that's just a local ordinance. That's not a law. Thank God Elijah Dickens had a gun. Thank God he did. Because the guy came out of the bathroom, rifles blaring, shooting up the mall, Greenwood Park Mall, south side of Indianapolis. What did this man do? He took the shooter out. Didn't stay outside. Didn't run away. In fact, this guy right here, with his gun he was trained to use, legal to have, put eight bullets in 10 shots in 15 seconds into a crazed gunman who was loaded for bear to kill as many as he could kill. This guy saved lives right here, Elijah Dick, and I couldn't do it. Everybody would like to think they could do it, but I want you to think about something. I want you to think about 15 seconds. You're eating dinner, lunch, whatever. You're in a mall. You're not paying attention. You're paying attention to whoever it is you got to pay attention to. Shots ring out. A lot of times human nature says, I'm going. In 15 seconds, this man right here, Elijah Dickens, drew his weapon, pumped eight bullets into the shooter, and while he was doing it, was waving people to the door to get him out of there to safety. It's a hero. Quibble all you'd like. The Indy Star did a big thing about what's the definition of a good Samaritan. Basically, it's a passive-aggressive way for the Indy Star to question whether this man is a good Samaritan. Some idiot with the local traffic team questioned the same thing. I mean, let's be honest. That act right there, right there by Mr. Dickens, is real people taking back our lives. That's how I look at it. I look at it that way. I look at it like real people saying, you know what? We're going to take back our lives. We're not letting the bad guys win. We are not even thinking about letting the bad guys win. Bad guys ain't winning this one. We're winning this one. And in the process, you know what Mr. Dickens did? Saved a ton of lives, man. I mean a ton of lives because this dude, not Dickens, the shooter, was coming to kill. He was coming to kill. He was coming to take as many lives for whatever reason. Didn't matter. Did not matter. This guy saved freaking many lives. And I want you to think about this, and this is what I'm going to talk to Guy Relaford about. I want you to think about this. It's not just the lives of the people that would get shot that this man saved. No, uh uh-uh. No, it's not. It's the lives of the moms and the dads and the brothers and the sisters and the cousins and the uncles and every single person involved whose lives that man saved. Because, let's be honest, there is nothing worse for a parent than to bury their son. There is nothing worse for folks like, oh, I don't know, 
uh, grandmas, grandpas, moms, dads, cousins, uncles to bury a loved one. There's nothing worse. And this dude saved not only, not only the people that were there, but the folks that are closest to him. And we have legitimate idiots, including a traffic guy for CBS4 here in Indy, that are questioning whether this guy is a hero. And they're doing it typical media way. They're doing it without knowing exactly what the laws are, and they're doing it without knowing exactly what the hell went down. There is a guy named Justin Kolar, CBS4, Indy Traffic, that instead of saying, hey, look, man, this dude's a hero, Justin decides that he is going to add his name into the annals of incredibly stupid. Uh, the term Good Samaritan came from a Bible passage of a man from Samaria who stopped on the side of the road to help a man who was injured and ignored. I cannot believe we live in a world where the term can equally apply to someone killing someone. My God. Uh, idiot. There you go. I mean, you can't win with idiots in the media in Indianapolis. We saw the lies thrown at me, which we've, which, which we've just crushed all week long and we've moved on from. But this idiot here is reprehensible. Let me be clear. My thoughts are not meant to discredit the heroic, life-saving action of an individual. Well, yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. If you want to quibble about the term Good Samaritan with the traffic guy from CBS4, go ahead and quibble about what the term Good Samaritan. Hell, the Indy Star, my favorite paper, they got the most by far, like times 10, clicks, views, responses to articles on me. Second most was an idiotic column by an idiotic writer about the term Good Samaritan. All they're trying to do is discredit this guy. And I don't get it, man. I just don't get it. Don't at me. I'll tell you something else don't at me about. Don't at me about Charles Barkley joining the Live Tour. Don't at me about that. I don't want to hear it. Charles Barkley should absolutely join the Live Tour if that's what Charles Barkley wants to do. And Charles Barkley is not wrong when he says all these sports are built on the back of regimes that aren't exactly people-friendly. I mean, we all talk about the influence of China, which, by the way, got revealed a little bit with some leaked audio. But Saudi Arabia, I mean, let's be honest. Let's, let's just be honest. We got golf courses being built there by some of golf's finest. We got money funneling in. We use them for oil. I mean, what are we talking about? So Charles Barkley, who the most interesting thing was he revealed that he's made $10 million a year from TNT, which is spectacular. Charles Barkley is talking to Greg Norman about a role on live TV on the network. Now, if I were Charles Barkley, I'd be very careful here. Not because of the money, who cares? Not because of what people might say about you, who cares? What I've learned this past week is the worse they talk about you, the better real people like you. But if I was Charles Barkley, I'd just be a little bit careful. You know what? He's terrific in sight. He's the best thing on basketball, football, TV. Going to golf, while it might be fun, it might be dramatic, it might be risky, just be a little careful. People will watch you for a minute, 
and then they'll turn it off because the golf's not going to be great. Now, if he were joining the PGA Tour, I'd say, man, you got to do it. You absolutely have to do it. Are you crazy? But this tour is not in his lifetime of broadcasting. Charles is my age. He's, going to, he's 60, either going to be or right around 60. He is 60. Uh, Charles Barkley, this live tour thing is not going to be that spectacular for a while, if it ever gets spectacular. So look, if they want to pay you $50 million, go ahead and do it. If they want to give you a lifestyle that you don't currently have, but I got to tell you, I think Charles is a pretty good lifestyle. Anyway, long story short, if I'm Charles Barkley, i just be a little bit careful with that. I ain't mad at him. I ain't, I ain't mad at him. I ain't a little bit mad at him. But this live tour thing ain't great. Nah, it's not great. Not yet. It may, but not yet. And the ground floor where nobody's watching and you're kind of got to be the, the MC, I don't know. Nah, I'm not sure about that one. Do whatever the hell you want. Hell yeah. But, yeah, eh, I don't know. Uh, but I ain't mad at you. Madison Bumgarner described himself as a grumpy old man. Now, nobody except for maybe me likes all of the unwritten rules that go on in baseball. I love them. Like, in a home run, don't act like a jackass when the game is over, right? I mean... Uh, Victor Robles hits a home run. He admired a home run. It was like, you know, a 7-2 win. It was 7-1 when Robles hits a home run. All right. Well, Bumgarner's team's winning. Robles comes up. I know Robles was pretty good with the Nationals. Maybe I'm wrong. But anyway, so Robles comes up. He hits a home run, and he does what guys do, man. He admires it. Of course, Bumgarner, being the old school guy, he ain't having it. That's right. We don't have it around these parts. Damn you. We're not having it. Do we have video on that or audio? What do we got on that? I like it. It was just an article. I think. Oh, okay, just an article. Well, he says, look. Uh, he's a clown, Baumgartner, talking about Robles. Golly, no shame. Like, it's 7-1, to one, you hit your third home run of the year, and you act like Barry Bonds breaking the record. Clean it up! I don't care about giving up a run. Hell, we won 7-2, to 8-2, whatever it was. I'm frustrated. This is what I like. <clears throat> I'm a grumpy old guy, he says. I know. But that type of stuff, that didn't used to happen. That's ridiculous. Of course, Robles fires back. Eh, it seems like he calls everyone a clown that actually has a big hit or home run against him. If he doesn't want anyone hitting a home run against him or having any issue with that, to just strike people out and make better pitches to where he doesn't have to worry about it. And then he wore a clown nose. I like Victor Robles. And I like Madison Bumgarner. Hey, speaking for all his grumpy old men, I like it. Get off my damn lawn, all of you. You damn kids, today, you don't respect the game. But I like the fact that Bumgarner called himself out. I like the fact that he said, hey, I am a grumpy old man. Why are you bothering me? So he goes from calling out Robles 
to being a grumpy old man. And I like Robles because, well, frankly, he makes fun of it. He puts on a clown nose. That's how we're supposed to handle things. That's what we're supposed to do. Put the damn clown nose on once in a while. Put the clown nose on. Be Victor Robles. Why not? I don't know. But I like that kind of stuff. Look, if you're a grumpy old man, which I can be a grumpy old man, uh, then be a grumpy old man. I don't know what to tell you. All right. Every single day. I'm going to throw in a couple more. I ain't mad about it. Every single day. I hear about Dak Prescott. Every day. Every day I turn my TV on and Dak Prescott this, Dak Prescott that, Mike McCarthy this, Mike McCarthy that. I ain't mad about this. I've never really done this. I ain't mad about rooting completely and totally against the Cowboys. Now, here's the caveat with this. And if you're going to join me, what we have to do is we have to root that the Cowboys are like 8 and 9, 9 and 8, 7 and 10. They have to be mediocre. Because if the Cowboys are good, you know what we're going to hear, right? But if the Cowboys are horrendous, you know what we're going to hear, right? More Cowboys, not Cowbell. We're going to hear more Cowboys. So I ain't mad at any of us if we decide, hey, look, just for the love of God, be mediocre. We're still going to hear about them. And I got to tell you, I do believe they are America's team. Because every day I watch, every day, I hear about the Cowboys. Every day. By the way, I had better plug in my computer because we're going to have a guest and my computer just went out. I got another one for you. So I'm watching this morning. I'm watching this morning and I'm watching, I think it's Mike Tannenbaum. And Greeny and the rest are talking about the Jets. Now you got to understand, I really like Greeny. I've known Greeny, I like Greeny. I don't know Mike Tannenbaum. But what I really don't like is this. How can anybody, anybody ever say that somebody had a great draft before they play a game? Can somebody please explain this to me? Can somebody go out on a limb and explain to me how a team can have a, quote, great draft when nobody's played a game? I'll hang up and listen. A great draft is not when somebody drafts a guy who, I don't know, people think is good. A great draft is when guys go out and play really well, and then at the end of the year, you go, damn, that's a great draft. But I'm listening to Tannebaum, and they're talking about the Jets because Greeny likes the Jets, right? Greeny's a Jets guy. So good. I'm all good. I'm all happy about it. But the truth of the matter is, don't say they had a great draft. What if everybody gets hurt? Literally, what if everybody gets hurt? Is that still a great draft? What if they go 7-10? and 10? Or actually, maybe that is good. I don't know. Maybe that is really good. Maybe 7-10 and 10 is really good in the world of the Jets. But let's just say for the sake of argument, what if they stay the Jets? Is that still a great draft? 
I don't get it. I'm sorry. I don't get it. Look, you want to say somebody had a great recruiting class? Stupid. It usually pans out, though, in basketball. Usually in basketball, because you're only dealing with five guys, a great recruiting class, all right. Hey, look, we've all seen these guys play against other really good players. All right. But in football, hey, man, we got this stud guard. We've had a stud guard in Indianapolis for you tell me how long. They're going to pay this stud guard, Quentin Nelson, a zillion dollars. It's called a great draft here in Indianapolis. We had a great draft, man. We got Darius Leonard. We got Quentin Nelson's great draft. One playoff win. Zero AFC South titles. Hey, but it's a great draft. Got a great general manager. And I like our general manager. But look, my deal, particularly in the NFL, revolves around one thing and one thing only. Just win, baby. Just win. All right. I love not sticking to sports. I love talking about things that affect the world. I love working at OutKick. I do. I'm not going to lie to you. Love it. Because we're going to talk about stories like this. All right? Stories like this. Greenwood Park Mall last Sunday. Food court. Guy's in the bathroom for an hour, getting ready. He's got a bunch of rifles and guns. Comes out in the food court, starts shooting people. Man named Elijah Dickin. Happens to be caring, very legal in the state of Indiana. Pulls out his weapon and shoots and kills the perpetrator of what could have been a huge mass shooting. Three is enough, right? Three's enough for a mass shooting. Three people died. Three families lost loved ones. Three brothers, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, mothers, whatever, died. Elijah Dickin is the name of the man who stood up and in 15 seconds took out, took out the shooter, saving lives. While he did it, got other people out of the way. His attorney, his name is Guy Relford. A lot of media here in Indianapolis criticizing the shooter, or excuse me, one idiot, a guy named Russ McQuaid, who's been around these parts forever, actually at the press conference with the police chief, talked about a, quote, second shooter. Now, when you hear the word second shooter, you think one guy's doing the shooting and another guy's doing the shooting. Bad guys. That's how warped Indianapolis media is. That's how warped Maybe the media in general is here. The guy, Elijah Dickin, is nothing other than a hero. And quibbling over, well, Good Samaritan Bible quotes is complete and utter garbage. Stay right here. You're going to want to hear Guy Relford, who is the attorney for the hero, described no other way as a hero, Elijah Dickin, when we come back in a minute. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. 
It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. You know, uh, one of the main reasons I like being an outkick is we can talk about stuff that's, you know, actually important. I mean, whether or not Dak Prescott is in shape is interesting to football fans, but uh, as you get older, you realize that you want to have a voice in things. You want to talk about things that are important, and nothing more important in my community. I live in Indianapolis proper. Uh, than what happened in the Greenwood Park Mall, uh, which was a shooting, a shooting of three people dead in the food court. Now, my wife works in a mall. She works at Athleta, and I go visit her sometimes if, you know, and we eat in the food court at the fashion mall up here on the north side of Indianapolis. So when this hit me, it hit me hard because, well, families lost loved ones, and then a hero emerged. His name was Elijah Dickin. In 15 seconds, and I can't imagine this. I, I literally, I think I have a cool head at times. I cannot imagine in 15 seconds not only having the wherewithal and the training, most importantly, to stop a mass murderer from shooting and killing more people, but doing it in 15 seconds and waving people out. Guy Relford is Elijah Dick and the hero's uh, attorney, and he's nice enough to join us now. Hey, we, we, before we get started, first, thanks, obviously. I love your stuff. I hear you on Mondays uh, with my friend Hammer and Nigel. But I got to ask you, how is your client, Elijah, doing? How's the guy doing? Well, that's the right question to ask, Dan. Um, and that was my first concern. I, you know, I spent uh, all Saturday morning down there with him and his family. Um, and he's doing okay. Uh, he's, a, you know, he, he's, a, he's a great kid that has a great family around him, and that helps tremendously. At the same time, this is a pretty monumental event to have experienced, you know, and even though lots of people are appropriately and accurately calling you a hero, because he certainly was, who knows? I've been saying countless lives. I think that's the only way to describe it. This thing could have gone on uh, for a long, long time, if not uh, for uh, Eli's heroic actions. But even though you, you, you know that they're right and that you are a hero and that you did save lives at the same time, um, this obviously has a huge impact. You know, the uh, human life is over at your hands and that's a lot to deal with. And one thing I was happy to do on my show on Saturdays on WIBC is I put him in contact or, or delivered a message from another client of mine, a lady named Kisty Phillips, who heroically saved the life of a police officer down in Rising Sun, Indiana, with her own use of deadly force. And she was able to share on my show really how she got through that, how she came to cope with it, how she returned to normalcy. And uh, and I relayed all those messages uh, uh, through that podcast down to Eli. And, and I think that that's helping as well. But the the, the shorter answer is uh, he's a solid kid. He's a good kid. I say kid, he's 22 years old. I'm showing my age. Um, 
but uh, and he's got a great family around him. But this is a tough thing for anybody to go through. I think that's the thing that sometimes gets lost, right? I mean, I'm going to get into the media reaction, or at least some media reaction to this. But you're talking about three people, and I just talked about this earlier, Guy. Three people, yes, three lost their lives, but three families shattered, destroyed. Mom's dad's, in some ways, you lose your life. And now you got a guy who saved countless lives. And while I'm sure, you know, in some way, you know, obviously should be proud of that, it, it is also taking someone else's life, which is so personal and something nobody wants to do, at least if you're a sane human being. No, and I've now represented uh, six people um, who have taken a life in, in lawful and justified uh, use of force, lawful and justified use of force and self-defense or defense of an innocent third person. And every single one of them will tell you exactly the same thing. I mean, while people are patting you on the back and wanting to buy you a beer, um, you're thinking that it's the worst day of your life and you wish you never had to go through it. At the same time, there's a realization that, that I think provides a lot of comfort and that is that, but for your actions, you know, there would be innocent people that would have lost their lives. Um, and it's okay to, to get back to normalcy and, and feel normal about yourself again. And it's, it's okay to accept some of those thanks and, 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 and thoughts of, of appreciation um, because yes, there are, you know, innocent people that have lost their lives and, and you didn't make the choice. You know, it wasn't your choice for that guy to, to take two ARs and a pistol into a mall without the obvious intent, given the amount of ammo he had, the obvious intent to kill as many people as possible. You know, it wasn't your, it wasn't your idea. You, you didn't create that scenario. You simply dealt with the, the cards, um, you know, that you were given. You reacted appropriately. And, and there are good, innocent people alive today because of it. And, and that, that, I think, is something that is settling in and helps uh, any of these folks, including Eli, a lot. But it's still a lot, man. It's still a lot to process. I want to go through that, um, dealt and reaction, 15 seconds. You know, it's one thing to react in 15 seconds when you know something's coming, right? I mean, you're just sitting there, and again, I don't know what, you know, the case you can talk about or can't, but at least what I've read is in 15 seconds, uh, Elijah reacted, eliminated the problem, while getting people out of the freaking door is what I've been told. Eight, eight shots, 15 seconds. I mean, the reaction, now that you know him, do you, do you see it in him? I mean, it's just stunning to me that he had that cool ahead and that kind of training to do what he did in such a short period of time. Yeah, well, you know, that, that's my other job, Dan, is, is uh, I'm a firearms instructor. I have been for a long, long time. I own a company uh, called Tactical Firearms Training where we train people. I've taken, trained thousands and thousands of people. Um, I, I take a lot of training every year myself because I, I carry a gun every day. I want to be proficient. Um, if God forbid I'm ever in anything close to that situation. But I got to tell you, when you and, 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 and as you know, and as you mentioned, you know, until the police investigation is done, we're not getting into the nitty gritty of the shooting itself. But even based on what the police have reported, that is that his initial shots, Eli's initial shots were from 40 yards, 40 yards with a handgun engaging someone who has a rifle. And this is in a crowded food court with people screaming and, and running around. And, and, and you add all those things together and the time frame that you mentioned, which is that all this was was over in 15 seconds, and it's phenomenal. And you know, I've had I've had people that I I I, I shoot competitively with, or that I've trained with. And I mean, very very 
highly trained, high-speed people who have come to me saying, I don't think I could have done this. I, there were members of the Greenwood SWAT team who were informally not taking anything away from themselves saying, I'm not sure any of us could have done what happened here. And, and I don't know, I, I, uh, I won't share his answer, but at one point I, I suggested to Eli that uh, there was a little divine intervention involved. And, uh, and I, I, I don't know, uh, not, not trying to take it too much in that direction, but I, I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor and carried a gun every day in church. And uh, I know how he'd feel about what happened in the Greenwood Park Mall last Sunday. Um, I, I, you know, it is, I guess, um, against a code to bring a gun in. I, the media reaction to this has been interesting. You know, some good, obviously, we're quibbling about the Indy Stars got a quibble about the Good Samaritan, some idiot with the CBS4 traffic team, you know, got a lot of attention for this. I'm going to tell you, Guy, you, you've been involved in way more of this kind of stuff than I am. I, I don't get how any rational thinking person could think anything other than Elijah Dickon is that of a hero, period. Yeah, and, and, and look, th this issue with the, the mall having a no-gun policy, let's address that first. Um, you know, some, some national figures, you know, the, some of the idiots on The View, which show I don't watch, but one, one of those ladies came out and said that, that Eli broke the law. Uh, when he took a gun into the mall and uh, Shannon Watts, the head of Moms Demand Action, you know, a, a gun control group said that he illegally carried his gun into the mall. Those are lies. And that's defamation, by the way, you falsely accuse someone of a crime. Um, that's defamation per se. Uh, and there'll be more more news on that. But they're completely wrong. And the Indy Star suggesting that as well is completely wrong to the extent they did. I don't I don't read the Indy Star, but um, I've heard about Thank some you. of the things. Because they can, look, they can have a no-gun policy if they want. I can, right here in my office, I can put up a no Tom Brady jersey sign on my on my door to my office, right? That's my policy. It's my office. I can set whatever policies I want. Some guy tries to walk in here with a, you know, with a Buccaneers or a Patriots jersey with Tom Brady on it. I can say, hey, don't, didn't you read the sign? You idiot, you got to leave. And if they don't leave, I can have them arrested for trespassing. But they break no law. They commit no crime when they ignore my policy, just like masks required. You ignore a mask required sign, walk into a business, you don't go to jail, you didn't break the law, you just broke their policy, they cannot serve you, then they can ask you to leave. No shirt, no shoes, no service. No gun works exactly the same way. So he broke no law. Um, I, I uh, ignore no gun sign pretty much habitually every day of my life because I know I'm not breaking a law. In some states, that law is different and they can set up a statute to say you have to honor those signs. We don't have that in Indiana. So we need to make it very clear that Eli you know, certainly committed no crime. All he did was violate the policy of the Greenwood Park Mall, and they could have asked him to leave if they wanted to. But all the Greenwood Park Mall is saying now is, is saying thank you for saving so many lives. And, the, you know, the, the, the people quibbling, uh, that was one of the initial interviews from the scene at the Greenwood Park Mall. We had a local reporter who I used to really like a lot. I used to really respect a lot. I don't know what the hell happened to him. I don't know if it's because of a change in ownership. Uh, at uh, the station he works for. But, but at the scene, he, he was pushing the, the police chief to call Eli a second shooter. He goes, well, you really had two shooters. And the second shooter did this, that, and the other thing. And I'm going, are you kidding me? He just described him as a hero and a good Samaritan. And you want to you substitute second shooter as if he did something wrong, as if he did something nefarious. Um, and then, you know, the CBS4 guy uh, quibbling over goods. Like I said, my dad's a pastor. You know, my dad and I had a lot of discussions over over uh, what's in the Bible and how to interpret it. You know, that's, that's what we talked about. 
uh, a lot around the, the dinner table. And the idea that this guy has a hard time with someone who saved lives heroically, putting himself in harm's way, putting himself in harm's way to save lives. And he wants to quibble about whether that's an appropriate application of, of that you know, very powerful uh, biblical story. Uh, come on, uh, you're, you're working too hard to find something negative to complain about when this guy's a hero and saved lives. And so I, you know, my, my reaction to that is you're an idiot and I, you don't deserve, uh, uh, your opinion deserves no more of my attention. Um, July 1st, the law changed in Indiana, correct? Did that have impact on the ability for Eli to carry a gun? Well, it, at first we thought it did because, um, as you mentioned, July 1, constitutional carry went into effect. And constitutional carry just means if you're a law-abiding citizen, you're not prohibited by law from carrying a, a gun or possessing a gun. So in other words, you can't be a felon. You can't be a domestic batterer. You can't have a conviction for a crime of domestic violence or be, be under a domestic violence order of protection. You can't be adjudicated mentally ill. You can't be an illegal alien. The list goes on from there. But if you're a law-abiding citizen and there's nothing that prohibits you from possessing a gun as of July 1st in Indiana, now you don't have to go beg permission from the government and say, please, can I exercise this right I already have and issue me a license to exercise this right I already have. That's constitutional carry. At first, we thought it applied to the Greenwood Mall shooting because the initial reports from the GPD down there was saying that Eli did not have a license to carry, but he was legally carrying under constitutional carry. So early on, you know, I, I cleared that up. Um, I had a copy of his license actually on my phone and, and I talked to the chief about it. It was just a little bit of a glitch when they ran his information initially with a lot of moving pieces, a lot of going on. I have no criticism for the Greenwood Police Department. I think they did a fabulous job all the way around and they continue to do so. But we coordinated with them. We updated that. He did have a license. So as it turns out, constitutional carry is really irrelevant to him because he did have a license to carry that he got in August of last year. You, so what, you're his attorney guy. He needs an attorney. We, we all know that. But let me walk me through this. Um, did he initially need to be cleared? I assume he needed to be cleared, right? They had to say this is what he did. What, what's the process for Eli moving forward here? Well, and, and I actually teach a class in this. I taught it to, in the Lebanon Police Department last week, and, and I just taught it at, at Indy Arms on Thursday night. Um, and there is a process because what we're talking about, Dan, I'm, and forgive me for stating the obvious, but what we're talking about here is a homicide, right, as far as what Eli did. A homicide is defined as the intentional killing of a human being. If you point a gun at someone and aim at them, pull a trigger, that's a homicide. So the question becomes, is it a lawful and justified homicide or is it a crime? And so every homicide gets investigated the same way. You know, the same guys with homicide on the back of their wind, you know, wind jackets or their body armor um, and same detectives, the same people are involved. And, 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 and while very early on, the first thing we ever heard from the Greenwood Police Department and, and, and Chief James Eisen down there is that Eli's a hero. Yeah, there's a process for investigating exactly what happened. Um, that includes ballistics on the firearms involved, you know, video that, that really pretty much the whole thing is on security video um, that GPD uh, watch, has watched a lot of times, and I'm sure they'll watch it more, partly being in awe of, of how Eli performed, I can tell you. But, you know, they got to go through all of that. There, there's still a forensic examination of the computer and the phone they found that were the bad guys. You know, he, apparently he put his computer in the oven with a can of butane, um, 
uh, and uh, tried to destroy it through his phone in a toilet. So they're doing things there, um, you know, just before they close the book on the whole situation, which is the, the you know, the wounding of two people, the murder of, of three people, and then the, the shooting by Eli of the bad guy. Those are all um, under the same umbrella in terms of part of the same investigation. And so that's what I've been saying um, in terms of why we're not going into detail on what happened in the mall that day until the police close their investigation. And they tell us it's closed. You may or may not get something from the Johnson County Prosecutor's Office that says, hey, we've reviewed this. Um, this guy, you know, the bad guy committed these crimes. Um, Eli uh, uh, committed no crime whatsoever. He's completely clear and we thank him for his heroism. I've had several other clients, uh, including the, the hero in Brownsburg here just a year and a half, two years ago that uh, saved the life of several people from a guy going through a complete schizophrenic breakdown, also with deadly force. Um, but, you know, he got a letter from the Hendricks County prosecutor saying, thank you for your heroism. You saved many lives that day. And I, I would hope we get something like that um, from Johnson County prosecutor's office as well. But that sort of puts a bow on it. It tells them their investigation's concluded. Then we're free then to go out to the extent Eli and his family choose to um, and talk about the actual events in the mall that day. And I really I really want to do that because, you know, in the circles I run in, um, you know, for instance, there are guys out there now, guys like me who are trainers or competitive shooters are out running right now, they call the Dickin drill, where they try to recreate what they think Eli did in the mall that day, you know, shooting from 40 yards and, and the number of shots in a very short period of time. Um, but there are a lot of other uh, factors um, that they're going to have to build into to that to make it authentic once they hear, hear the whole story. And it's a fascinating story. And and look, the, the, the Dickin uh, family, they don't want to politicize this. Uh, I have a political agenda. I'm a Second Amendment rights advocate. I have no hesitation in saying that. Anybody ever listens to my show on Saturday, you know I'm a Second Amendment advocate. I founded the 2A Project, for crying out loud. Um, so th there is a powerful message here about how law-abiding citizens who are able to lawfully carry handguns in public are able to save lives. And, and, and there are a lot out there, there are people out there who dispute the idea that a, a good guy with a gun, quote unquote, can save lives. And a lot of people say that never happens, and it's a myth. Well, this, this story completely destroys that narrative, <laughs> and they know it. That's why they're attacking Eli. So anyway, there's going to be a lot more to talk about on those things to the extent that the Dickon family wants to, and, and I want to be right there with them uh, throughout that process. I'm going to combine these two questions, and they're pretty much separate. One, you mentioned earlier the Greenwood Police Department and the job that they did. I, I want to get into that. Like, you know, what did they do? Because we hear so much about what happened down in Texas, obviously. But it's nice to hear that a police department, particularly from a defense attorney, is saying how well that they did. And the second thing, piggybacking on what you just said, uh, I got to tell you, guy, I went, I never had a gun. I've always been afraid of them for whatever the reason. I went with my wife shooting, and I thought, oh, I just aimed a gun. I can hit these, you know, paper targets. I couldn't hit nothing. And I got great eyes. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, guy, training is so important here, and that's part of the reason, or, or that's piggybacked on why you have laws that allow you to carry them, because there is so much training available, and that's what needs to happen. You need to get the proper training. So I'm combining two things for you. There you go. Well, yeah, there's a lot there. Um, well, GPD, one, one thing I, I like, well, first of all, I think a lot of their reaction to the whole situation is, is really one out of appreciation. Um, because, for instance, they weren't forced to deal with the Uvalde situation, right? I mean, they showed up, the threat was over. Because the threat was over in 15 seconds. 
So all of a sudden deciding, you know, do, do you know, do we rush into the mall? Do do we, uh, if the guy had, had since barricaded himself somewhere, um, you know, do they have to, to force their way in or their hostages that they have to deal with like in Ubaldi? So all those things that, that could have confronted GPD, they, they didn't have to deal with because the threat's over. They ran in, bad guy's dead. Um, and, and, and there, you know, here's Eli saying, you know, Hey, I'm not a threat. I'm the good guy. And and then they took it from there. So they, they appropriately were appreciative of his heroism because it made their day a whole lot different than what it could have been. They could have easily been faced with a situation with, you know, a hundred hostages or who knows what could have happened in that mall. So I, I think coming out of that, um, that's one of the reasons they were so communicative. And this is where I give them, um, high points. And that is that, a lot of police departments, they see so many moving pieces and, and there's an investigation. There are a lot of witnesses to talk to. There's a lot of physical evidence to look at. They just want to hunker down, not say anything because they're afraid of saying something wrong. And I understand that. Nobody wants to go out and misstate anything. Um, at the same time, they also know that, you know, that, that it's a big story. A lot of people are interested. A lot of people are being impacted directly. There's a lot of misinformation flowing around as there always is on any news event because so much of the media gets it wrong intentionally or, or, or through ignorance, but they get it wrong. So to get the real facts out there and be willing to step up and get the facts out there is, is somewhat heroic in its own right. At least it takes a lot of courage uh, to do that. And Chief James Eisen did that. Um, that whole department has, has really stepped up um, in that regard. Uh, they've been very communicative. And, uh, and so anyway, I, I, give them, I give them high praise. And, and you're right, man, I'm a defense lawyer. I, Police and, and me, we're, we're enemies in the wild to some degree. At the same time, uh, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of cops. I train with a lot of cops. Being in the in the 2A movement and, and being a trainer and a competitor, um, I hang out with a lot of cops. So that, that I, I, I tend to I tend to like a lot of them, even though uh, we get crosswise sometimes in the courtroom. But the other side of it is, yeah, you know, as a professional trainer, one of the reasons I became a professional trainer is just once I decided what, 40 years ago to start carrying a gun. I decided that I wanted to be as highly trained as I could. And so I went out and started taking classes. And the more classes, one of my favorite quotes, and people attribute this to Einstein. I don't think it was Einstein. It was like English playwright. But it's, 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 it's um, ignorance, excuse me, education is the progressive discovery of your own ignorance. And I love that. Education is the progressive discovery. I mean, everything you learn, you figure out how much more there is out there that you don't know. And you know, we're the smartest we've ever been when we're 18, right? Graduate high school, there's nothing I can possibly learn about the world. I know it all. And then you spend the rest of your life figuring out how stupid you really are. And, and that's what I love about training. Because every time you train, you come out of it going, oh man, I got to go back and work on these three things or these eight things or whatever it is. And so I'm a, I started doing that. And then immediately I had people coming to me going, hey, you're shooting a lot, you know, and, and why don't you teach me? And I went, well, I don't want to teach you by unless I know I'm doing it right. So I went and gotten certified as an instructor. And next thing I know, I'm teaching a lot of people and decided to start a business. But that's because training is so important. And it doesn't matter whether you get it from your grandfather like Eli did, um, or you take a lot of organized classes like I did. Um, but the idea is, though, is to, is to be able to handle that situation when it arises. And, and here I've been training for I don't know how long. And uh, I look at what Eli did and I, I you know, it, it put my hand on a Bible and say, I could have done that after I've spent 40 years uh, getting ready for that event. I, I couldn't say that. I hope I pray. Um, but it was, it was, it was tremendous. And I, I agree with you. I, training shouldn't be required as a condition because, you know, we, we don't, we don't make you take a civics class before you can vote as much as that might help the voting process. 
we don't put restrictions like that on constitutional rights, at least I don't believe we should, at the same time as a matter of personal responsibility. I don't think you can be a responsible owner of a gun unless you take uh, training and get that training from some source. You know, granddad, great, a lot of classes, whatever it is, but I agree with you, training is, is paramount. And that's one of the reasons I enjoy training people. It's fun for me. I've talked to a lot of people like you, people at WIBC that said, man, you know what? I think I, I might want to start carrying a gun. And hey, I, let's go to the range, man. We'll get her done. I, you give me two hours, I'll make you good with a gun. Especially somebody who's naturally athletic like you, a lot of hand-eye coordination. Man, you give me an hour or two and uh, we'll hook you right up. You, you'll walk out of there feeling pretty good about it. I mean, it was like, boom, what? How come I didn't <laughs> hit it? I mean, you know. <laughs> hey, last thing, last thing before I, I let you go, because you, you, we started this conversation um, how this is personal. You know, this is personal when you do something that uh, Eli did. Uh, bottom line for him, what's next for him? You know, wh 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 where, do you, where do you or where do you see him going here as he moves forward in his life? Well, I think it's going to be in two phases. I think, and, and again, I, Eli and his family are going to make these decisions in terms of, you know, what, what direction they want to go. And I'll, whatever their decision, I'm going to be right there to support them. But um, I think there's going to be a time where there's going to be um, a lot of attention. Once he decides to tell his story in public, then we're going to do that. Um, and we're not going to do it to very many people. You know, we're not going to do a whole media, media tour. We'll decide who we want to talk to, with, you know, as far as Eli being there himself. We'll do that. And then, and then get that behind us, and I think really then have a move toward nor normalcy. I mean, I, I, I had this just amazing interview uh, with with Kisty Phillips, a hero, uh, as I mentioned, and 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 that's what she wanted. That's what, that's the only thing she wanted coming out of her heroic situation. Again, she saved a life, but all she wanted was to get her norm her normal life back. And and if that's the direction Eli wants to go, I think that's great. At the same time, there are going to be a tremendous amount of opportunities for him. I mean, I've already had people calling me from security companies and police departments offering him jobs, um, and a lot of people want to get him in front of a camera somewhere. So he ne he needs to decide, and I'm sure he will, of, of how much he wants to, you know, continue to being to be e Eli Dick and the hero of the Greenwood Mall, or he just wants to be Eli um, and get back to as much of his normal life as possible. And I, and, and I'm sure he'll work through that because he's got, again, a fabulous family that is right there with him. Uh, but I think, you know, it, it, it'll, it'll go one of those two directions. You'll, you know, see him involved to some degree in second amendment issues or, or he's just going to get back to being Eli and go on about his life. I also got the impression that there are going to be some media members and some media companies that are going to have to answer for tweets and statements made relative to this and they're going to have to answer to you. And that ain't going to be fun for them. Let me just put well, when, it that way. When Shannon Watts tweeted about her, the illegal entry into the mall, um, I responded to that tweet. And, uh, and I said, haven't you learned anything from Nicholas Sandman and Kyle Rittenhouse? Because um, those guys uh, have some massive defamation suits out there based on exactly the same kind of misinformation. And uh, so yeah, there, there there will there will be a, there will be a reckoning on that too, Dan. I figured I could tell, and I I, uh, I don't blame you one bit, guy. I can't thank you enough. As I said, I enjoy you. I listen to you every Monday when you're on with Hammer. I was listening to you this weekend with uh, Abdul, and when you're on, I listen because you just make so much sense. And I I can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, well, I I told you when we were off the air, man. I've been a fan of yours since March of 1984 when uh, you held Michael Jordan to. <laughs> 
points and one rebound. That's a, that's my favorite stat line ever. One rebound. Michael Jordan, are you kidding? Uh, Dan Dockish did that, man. And so I'm an Indiana kid growing up with Indiana basketball. And so you've been a hero and, a, and I've been a, your fan uh, for a long, long time. So it's great to be on here in person. I hope we do it again sometime. Well, I, I look forward to it. Thank you, Guy. That's uh, hey, Guy Relford. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm just stunned at the media reaction. I mean, this guy is a hero. In every sense of the word, a hero. Not No ifs, ands, or buts. And he's a hero because he got ready. He's a hero because he prepared. You know, he went out and trained. He went out and did the things to prepare himself if he was going to be in that situation. Isn't it amazing? I mean, not to get too biblical on you here, but isn't it amazing how God puts people in certain situations? It really is. I mean, I think back on that a lot. I, I do. I, I think that... Uh, Eli Dickin was put in that situation for a reason. I, you know, I know a lot of people go the other way and say, well, why doesn't God always put people in that situation? Well, nobody ever said life was going to be a cakewalk for everybody. But Eli Dickin, I got to tell you, not only did he save lives, but he saved families, communities. You have no idea. Like we don't, I don't. Um, I, I don't have any idea what the background was of the people that did not get shot, right? I mean, who has a back? Who, I, I don't know that. I have no idea of that. But I do know this, that the shooter in Greenwood, in the Greenwood Park Mall, was loaded for bear, man. He was not trying to kill just a couple people and get the hell out of there. He was trying to kill everybody that he could possibly kill, and a man named Eli Dickin stopped it and is a hero. All right, we'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real Steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Uh, I got to thank. That's why I love doing this show, man. This show is awesome. And I thank basically every day everybody at Outkick for letting me come on. If you missed our interview with Guy Relliford just now, you can go back and watch it. I'll be tweeting all day. Tweet your friends. Let them know. All right, I got to tell you, in the foothills of Georgia, 40 miles northeast of Atlanta, lies the mucky waters of Lake Lanier. Listen to this, man. 693 miles, 92 miles of shoreline, five counties. There is apparently a curse on this lake. Boating, drinking, long days in the Georgia sun, all that kind of stuff. Um, the movie... Ozarks used the lake as a backdrop to stand in for the Ozarks. The cloudy waters fit right in. Estimates suggest, listen to this, 700 people have died at Lake Lanier since 1956. Now, these statistics have earned it the title of one of the Deadliest lakes. Local divers have even reported if diving into rogue body parts, 
collisions, drowning Lee, freak accidents on Lake Lanier. Honest to God. The reservoir below it, there's a, there's a town called Oscarville, Georgia. This lake is put on this town. It was a town that was destroyed when the Army Corps of Engineers created lake. In fact, I just lost a bet. The lake I live on here is on top of a town named Russiaville, I think. What the hell are we doing? So now I got to believe in ruins and Rome and all this other stuff. Families in this town of Oscarville were forced out of their homes, churches, businesses, homes, cemeteries were relocated and engulfed. 50,000 acres of farmland were destroyed and over 250 families. It cost $46 million. Lifetime, listen to this. Longtime locals hold deep beliefs that the waters of Lake Lanier in Georgia, a little bit northwest of Atlanta, are cursed. He seemed, oh, listen to this. Emily, uh, email, excuse me, uh, Emil Flenham shared an experience where a man in the town warned him about the lake, telling him to stay away. He seemed old enough to be my grandfather. He explained that the county surrounding the water once housed African-American residents who were violently run out of town by a group of white men. As a result, the ancestors or remaining spirits from the black people who were murdered lingered on. So what they did was the event the town people were referring to was something idiotic called the racial cleansing. A white mob terrorized the community. There was some kind of crime against white people. They terrorized the community. Now, I don't know. It says it would be cruel to imply the spirits of the affected community are responsible for the deaths. However, even on the sunniest day, the air in that part of uh, Forsyth County can feel as heavy as past horrors. This is amazing when you look at this. Uh, This is absolutely amazing. Like, here's the deal. Here's what's even more amazing. You have all these people dying. And you got all these people living there. Like, what are you doing? Like, there are a lot of places that you can live. There are a lot of lakes if you would like to live on a lake. Why would you ever live on a lake that not only is purported to be cursed, whether that's true or not, obviously, I have no idea. You're going to see a boat blown up right here. Why would you live there? Like, hey, look, Wawasee, right up a little bit north of me. Hell right here on Geist. Nice. Very nice. Don't live anywhere around anything that could be, quote, cursed. I don't know if it's cursed, but I know boats blow up. I know an estimated 700 people have died. Let me ask you a question. When you're in a reservoir and you're on a lake, there really isn't a current. Like, you go to Lake Michigan, which is one of the Great Lakes. It's basically an ocean. There's a current. The undertow can get you. And if you fight the undertow, chances are you're going to die. Don't fight the undertow. Let it take you. Close your eyes. (laughs) Think about baseball or Raquel Welch. Do yourself a favor. It'll be over. 
But don't go on a lake that has 700 dead boats blowing up and is purportedly cursed. There's other places to do that. There are other places to do the business of boating, swimming, diving, tubing, skiing, than a lake that is cursed. And look, I'm not telling you what to do, but common sense dictates I really don't want to go there. I'll be honest with you. Guy died out here on my lake. You know what he did? He got so hammered at the local bar, they asked him to leave. He left. His friends, for whatever the reason, then left him. He walked outside, fell into the water, and died because he couldn't get out. That's not cursed. That's just drunk. I mean, there's a big difference. If something's cursed, all right. If someone's drunk, then, you know, you fall in the lake and you die. Don't fall in the lake and die. I show the net, and this dark history of this lake is unbelievable. It really, really, truly is. And, uh, yeah, let's see what else we got here today. Uh, the NBA is fantastic. And the NBA today, like I'm looking at uh, whatever this show is, first take, Celtics among teams in trade talks on deal for Kevin Durant. Doesn't say that there's a deal for Kevin Durant. It just says who's talking. That's it. Who's talking? So NBA memes put out this. Put out, can you name all the players who are still with the same team? And I got to tell you, that's a lot of players that have already moved. Look at all these guys. Like, I don't even know half their names. Who's the Celtics guy in the front? Uh, looks like Denzel Valentine on the right. Looks like Bradley Beal in the middle there. I'm guessing that's Kemba Walker. I, I would like to do the math on this, but this is all the dudes that have Who's all on the same team? I don't know, but there ain't many. And that's one of the problems you're going to see here with the NBA. And this isn't me, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't me being Madison Bumgarner, being a grumpy old man. No, this is not me. And let me go back to that. I just got this note from Dylan. Listen to this. Before I get totally into the NBA, listen to this. They didn't move the cemeteries when they flooded it. That's where people say the curse came from. I'm not going to lie to you. I believe in these things. So my wife and I, we were in a town called New... What is it? Hey, Lee! Like Shippensburg. We were in the Poconos. Stroudsburg, Shippensburg, something like that. And I, anytime I go somewhere, I got my eyes going. I'm looking around. It's a nice Sunday morning. I'm going to use a word here that I rarely use. It felt icky. That's right. I said it. Icky. It felt icky. And I think I've told this story before, but, you know, shops were open. It's probably Sunday noon, 1 o'clock. Shops were open. We're walking down the street. It just felt weird. 
There was this store, and correct, I know I've told this story before. There was this store. It wasn't a porn store, but it was like, I don't know, in the mall where I was a kid, there was a store that had like stuff, funny stuff, sex. I mean, it was just stuff. Spencer's is what it was called, Spencer's Gifts. So I'm like, hey, Lee, let's go into this store. It wasn't a chain. It was a local store. Like, ah, let's just go in and see stupid stuff. She saw something, and she's like, we're not going in there. I go, what do you mean? She goes, no, we're not going in because a spirit or something will attach itself to us. And I got to tell you, I believe what she said. I did. I didn't go in the store. I didn't want to go in the store because it's not something. Yeah, look at this. I don't know what this is. This is under the water. But if you see stuff, it's icky. Don't go in Shippensburg or wherever it is into the, the porn store or the Spencer's gift store. Don't do it, people. I'm telling you, I'm trying to help you out. Like, I don't like touching the bottom of water. I don't like touching things underwater. Like, if I touch the bottom of the water, I don't like it. No. No. It's gross. It is, in a word, icky. All right, let's talk about the NBA. The NBA has movement. The NBA will continue to have movement. Let's go ahead and put up that meme again. Um, when you look at this meme, and I don't know who the hell they are, because but they're, of this entire group, of this entire group, there's only two or three that are currently with their own team. Now, this entire group, I don't know what the hell the amount of money is. Chris Middleton's in the picture. Towns, DeAndre Fox, Bradley Beal. But that might be it. I see DeAndre Fox in there. I see Bradley Beal in there. I see Carl Anthony Towns in there. And I see Chris Middleton in there. But other than that, I got to tell you, I don't see none of these folks. I mean, when I say none, that's about it. And that ain't great. Look, we're all used to different things, right? We're all used to, okay, uh, we don't have the same, well, you know, it's Santo, Kessinger, Beckard, and Banks, the lineup, you know, third to first for the Cubs. Or, you know, Rose, Concepcion, Joe Morgan, you know, they always had a problem at third base, Tony Perez at first. We don't have that. Okay, fine. But at some point, there's got to be a bit of continuity in your sports team. Like, if you live in Chicago, and I grew up a Chicago Bulls fan, I can't to this point right now tell you who in the hell is on the Bulls other than Zach Levine because Zach Levine just signed a big deal, and all across the top, uh, all across billboards in the state of Indiana going into Chicago and into Chicago is Zach Levine from some healthcare thing. I'm like, all right, Zach Levine. Okay, there you go. But the NBA has a problem. You've got to have stars in major cities, and they do. You've got to have a bit of continuity 
in your teams for those cities. It shouldn't take a program, a compass, an abacus, and a slide rule to figure out who in the Sam hell is on your team. If you want to sell season tickets, then damn it, you got to have somebody that you know is on the team. Now, let me give you an example here, and this is something that's going to get very, very interesting. All right? Very interesting. It's going to happen to Miles Bridges. What's going to happen to Miles Bridges? Let me, let me just ask you that. See, here's why I say that in relation to this. Miles Bridges is on the Charlotte Hornets. Miles Bridges is a guy that everybody thought was going to make hundreds of millions of dollars. The Charlotte Hornets wanted to keep him. The Charlotte Hornets, I would assume, wanted to put him and LaMelo Ball on all of their advertising because I think LaMelo Ball comes off as a really good kid on all the commercials he does. Obviously a terrific player. I think that, oh, I don't know. I think that Miles Bridges always, to me, was a really nice kid. But a problem happened, man. Miles Bridges facing three felony counts of domestic violence and child endangerment stemming from an incident with his wife. Let me ask you a question. You putting that? You signing that? Because it is a that. It's not just signing Miles Bridges. It's signing that. Those charges. That offense. And that complicates this. It really does. You got to be very careful in these free agent signings. You got to be uber careful. So we'll see what happens. But the NBA, I got to tell you, man, the NBA and its free agency, it's helping the players and good for them. NBA ain't hurting with the money, but for the average fan is the one I think about. You shouldn't need a freaking slide rule and a compass to figure out who in the hell is on your team. Kevin Durant, if you remember, let's put his tweet up. He responded. To an idiotic tweet in so many levels. I hate the saying so many levels. But earlier in the show, we discussed Draymond Green, who by all accounts fancies himself as the new media. Well, the new media is dumber than the old media. Green puts up, and you see it on the bottom, I'm watching the 98 Bulls in Utah in the finals. I can't help but notice our 2017 team would have beaten these Bulls by a dub. These Jazz by 40 if they're going to keep playing these brands of basketball. And that's why it's dumb to compare eras. Well, as stupid as Draymond Green appears in this, uh, that's as stupid as the new media is. Well, you can't say it's bad to compare eras while you're comparing eras. And good for Draymond Green. He's getting attention. And the attention came from Kevin Durant. I can't tell you what the results would be, but I do know that Steve Kerr would have demanded that we put Steve Kerr in as many pick and rolls as possible. That's pretty funny. Now, that's some funny stuff. See, Kevin Durant should stop sitting there at the podium with his hat on going, well, you know, man, I don't know. I just hate everybody and everybody's mean to me. No, Kevin Durant should be this guy right there. That's who Kevin Durant should be. All players should be. Draymond Green thinks he's being clever with the new media, but he's going to wear our ass out in about 15 more minutes. You got to come with that. Why do people love me? Because I make fun of myself. Why do people love Barkley? Because he makes fun of himself. How do you not make fun of this? How do you not make fun of what's written about me? How do you not make fun of what's said about me? You got to make fun of it. 
But that's what you need to do if you're Kevin Durant. That's how you need to go about the business of being an NBA dude. Hey, look, man, I don't know what the hell's going on here. But I do know this. Steve Kerr would have to guard our ass. That I like. I also know this. Uh, I know, I do, I know that Kevin Durant, who I like, Steph Curry, who I love, would be a little bit shy playing in the 97 season and certainly playing a five-game set against the Chicago Bulls. It would be a little bit shy after two or three times going down the lane and there's Wennington or there's Cartwright. I don't even know who the hell is on the 97 Bulls, but I do know there was Rodman knocking you on your ass and clotheslining you. See, that's the biggest thing. You can compare eras and athletic ability. I don't look at the, well, I guarantee you they're not. I don't look at the 2017 Warriors as any more athletic than the 97 Bulls. In fact, I would argue they're not as athletic. And they're certainly not as tough because one thing has happened is the game has certainly changed. The game has changed athletically to a degree, but not since 97 with those Bulls. But the game has also changed physically. Could you imagine if somebody decided Steph Curry going down the lane to hand check him first and then knock him on his ass three straight times going to the lane and then get up and really want to fight? Draymond Green's one of the great non-fighters of this era. Draymond Green knows that he can say whatever he wants because nobody's really fighting. Did you see what Frank Kaminsky did? Remember last year in the playoffs with no bigger coward in the world than Frank Kaminsky backed off fighting or defending his own teammate? Imagine what would have happened in the 80s and the 90s with, or 70s with Maurice Lucas and Daryl Dawkins and those guys. You go up against Frank Kaminsky, you're going up against a marshmallow who's only worried about his, his quote, brand, and I don't know, maybe uh, some money. You go up against Rodman, he don't care about none of it. All he's trying to do is knock you on your ass. But you know what the most fascinating thing in the world is today? One tweet, one tweet by one guy, one time, and I'm watching on TV, makes national TV, makes national TV here, awesome, absolutely effing awesome. Not kind of good, awesome good. Yeah, it is, Uh, and I respect it. I do. I totally, hey, where's Durant going to go? I don't know. Wherever Durant's going to go is going to be a pain in the ass. Let's just say that. I would rather talk about who was better. I would rather talk about could the 017, 2017 Warriors beat the 97 Bulls? Not a chance in holy hell, but we'll never see it. So anybody can say whatever they want. And I love what we played today. I love what we played where Jerry West stood up for the old plumbers and the old firemen against that Noted jump shooter, J.J. JJ Reddick. And Jerry West is the perfect guy to do it. All right, some quick headlines. Big Poppy steals the show. Yeah, okay. Because y'all are so damn afraid of Big Poppy. Big Poppy shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Big Poppy uh, should be no different than Bonds or McGuire or Sosa or any of those guys. My opinion. I hate, ladies and gentlemen, that John Mechie for the Texans, the wide receiver, has to battle. Now, it is the most curable form of leukemia. 
but I hate, I don't dislike, I hate that a kid has to battle that. I was really, I was really looking forward to this year, and I do in the future, of watching John Mechie play for the um, Houston Texans. He will be out this year. I will be praying for John Mechie. I will. I'll be praying for Mechie. I'll be rooting for Mechie to make a recovery, and I know that he will, and I hope that he does. I love the fact that pitcher Madison Baumgartner called out the guy Rubles, and Rubles came right back at him. Idiotic home run. Victor Rubles hits it. 7-1 to game. He admires it, does all the stuff that older guys don't. And, of course, Madison Baumgartner, an older guy, calls him out, and at least he admits what we all should admit. We're all grumpy old men. Now, I got some age on Bumgarner. In fact, I got uh, a drinking age and a touchdown on him, but I don't care. Grumpy old men is a good way to go through life. Salute to us grumpy old-ass men. Salute also to Ryan. Salute to Dylan. Salute to Davey. Salute to everybody that helped put on this wonderful show. I didn't get on the YouTube chat today. I did see there were big numbers, and I appreciate all of you. Uh, If you want more of this, then you can join me coming up at noon from noon to 3, 1075thefan.com. We'll be back at it tomorrow. I can't wait. No, I'm not on TV tonight. Thanks to all of you that watched yesterday as I called four games for the ESPN family of networks. Back on TV, baby, and better than ever, despite what the idiots here in the media, Stephen Holder, a writer for ESPN, telling everybody that I got fired. And, of course, Greg Doyle writing, there's, there's no, no surprise Dockage isn't with ESPN anymore. Let me clear that up. My contract was done at ESPN. Got a great offer from OutKick. Told ESPN, hey, I'm going to go to OutKick. Have great relationships with the folks at ESPN. So I worked for ESPN when asked, they asked, I work. Thank you, Indie Media, for being morons again. All right. Have a great afternoon, everybody. Stay safe out there. We'll talk to you tomorrow.